our deepest fears that we are powerful beyond measure. I will live every day as if there were a microphone tucked under my tongue. It's great to get in the game, but don't get in the game until you understand the rules till you're an insider. Your life changes when you begin having a different conversation in your head. What we need to do in radically deep problems is propose radically visionary solutions. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Greetings, everyone. My name is Julie Masters, and you are listening to another episode of Inside Influence, in which I delve into the minds of some of the world's most fascinating influencers or experts in influence to get to the bottom of what it really takes to own your voice and then amplify it to drive an industry, a conversation, a movement, or a nation. Now, as the Inside Influence team and I take a short break to refuel our collective batteries over summer or winter, depending on where you are in the world, we've got you covered. For the month of August, we will be releasing a weekly power cut of our favorite and your favorite podcast episodes. These will be a short powerhouse version containing some of our favorite moments and our favorite guests from the podcast, all to keep you fueled and showing up at the next level. This fourth and final Power Cut episode is with Gay Hendricks. Gay Hendricks has been a leader in the fields of relationship transformation and body-mind therapies for more than 45 years. After earning his PhD in counselling psychology from Stanford, Gay served as Professor of Counselling Psychology at the University of Colorado for over 21 years. In that time, he wrote more than 40 books, including bestsellers such as Five Wishes, the Big Leap, which is probably the book I have recommended the most this year, and Conscious Living, all of which are now used as primary texts in universities around the world. Gay conducts seminars worldwide and has appeared on more than 500 radio and television shows, including Oprah, CNN, CNBC, and many, many others. In this Power Cut conversation, we dive straight into the upper limit problem, what it is, how it works, why you need to know about it, and why he sees it at play at every level of accomplishment, from award-winning musicians to Fortune 500 CEOs, including the four hidden barriers that trigger it. And the zone of excellence versus the zone of genius. I can't tell you how many people I have walked through this concept. The best way to think about it is the almost numbness, you know, that you feel when you're doing what you're great at, but not necessarily passionate about, versus doing what brings you alive, what you were put on this earth to do. If you enjoy this Power Cut episode and would like to hear my full conversation with Gay Hendricks, which I wholeheartedly recommend that you do, please head over to my website, juliemasters.com. It's episode 152-152 or listen at all your favorite podcast places. But for now, stride out, cycle on and enjoy my final Power Cut episode with the incredible Gay Hendricks. I just want to, I want to leap. Yeah, see what I did there? I want to leap a second because The Big Leap is a book that was gifted to me by two incredible women who are mentors in my life. And it was at a time when I was really stuck. And this book arrived through the post. And in it was language that I have used, I think I probably use it at least once a week, ever since, two years later. And that is the language of the upper limit problem. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. let's start there. What is the upper limit problem? The upper limit problem is the tendency to punish ourselves when things start going better. 
So um, when things start moving along better, things are, you're being more loving to yourself, you're on your diet, maybe, you know, you're three days into your diet or something like that, and things are going well, there's a tendency in human existence to sabotage ourselves when things start going better. And I started calling that the upper limit problem because it seemed to me that almost everybody suffers from that. And I started doing research on that and I found out what causes it. Are you interested? Yeah, go on. <laughs> go on. Tell me. Okay. <laughs> it all comes out of fear. And not just any fear, but there are several specific fears that drive the upper limit problem. So what happens is things start going better and suddenly we have an unconscious thought that says, I don't deserve to feel this good. That's one of the big fears that human beings carry around is a lot of us think we have a fundamental flaw inside us that makes us not deserve the good things of life, like love and positive energy and good feeling and money and satisfying relationships. And so you can look into any one of those areas and find the area that isn't working and you can trace that back to one of these fears that I'm talking about. So one of the big fears is that fear that there's something fundamentally flawed about me. I'm the wrong gender, I'm the wrong skin color, I'm the wrong IQ, I live in the wrong place, you know, whatever it is, there's a series of wrongs we think we've committed. And in my work, we consider those imaginary because they're based on that fear. And so that little chunk of fear in there is cranking out these thoughts about you not deserving it. That's not the only fear though. There's another really big fear that a lot of folks in um, kind of in our line of work, in other words, people that are giving, people that are focused on helping others and that kind of thing, a lot of us suffer from what I call a fear of outshining. And the fear is that if I really let myself shine, that will take away love and attention that other people need more than I. You know, it's that old thing about always letting others go first or appreciating others but not appreciating yourself. It's just part of that whole syndrome of feeling bad about who we are at the core. And the big leap you can make is to make that shift to seeing that all of those old negative thoughts are based on fear. And the way to deal with fear is not to drown it out or stuff it down or tune it out or anything like that. The way to work with fear is to welcome it and open up to it and begin a conversation with it and let yourself feel it instead of trying to drink it away or smoke it away or whatever your particular way of dealing with fear is that's troublesome. Instead of doing that, think of it as an old friend or an ally that, had, that was protecting you at a certain point in your life, but you don't need that protection anymore. You know, now you can handle things on your own. So a lot of the most negative decisions that people make about themselves are made before they pick up that little lunchbox and trudge off to kindergarten or the first grade. I know one of the one of the, the fears that you've spoken about, so there's feeling flawed, um, there's outshining other people, and you know, that's definitely one that I can relate to that goes way, way, way back to my childhood. 
Um, but one that really struck me that I hadn't thought of before was you said that the idea, so one of these um, upper limit problems, one of these fears that we have that keeps us with a limit on our potential is the idea that more success brings a heavier burden. And as soon as I read it, as soon as I read it, I just, I could pinpoint so many people in my life and myself that have this kind of narrative. You know, if I am more successful, it will mean I'll be busier. I don't want to be busier. I'll spend less time with my children. Um, I will have a big team and I don't want a big team. I, just, I don't want any more complication in my life. Um, it will ruin my my peace. It will mean I have to pay more taxes. You know, da, 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 da. play it out, play it out, play it out. Where does that come from? This idea that my success will cause my pain. Well, I think it comes from very early on when people get punished for expressing their true selves or expressing their creativity. Um, you know, when I'm working with Australians, we've had probably had, I don't know, 100, 150 people come up from Australia and New Zealand and do our seminars or work one on one with us. And when I'm working with Australians, I always put the upper limit problem. I call it the tall poppy syndrome uh, because in, uh, I, you know, I've heard had so many Australians tell me and they always use the same body language. It's always don't be the tall poppy or the farmer will cut you off. <laughs> I think you know, anyone can always, imagine where your hand just slid across then. Uh, yeah, right across my throat. And so it's the idea, uh, and it's not just an Australian thing, but like in Sweden, for example, if you do a seminar, we've done seminars in Sweden and they have a word there, logum. And logum means it's sort of like the tall poppy syndrome. It says, don't be too big, don't be too little, stay right in the middle of the pack. Not too much, not too little. Stay down in the pack. And so, um, and other cultures, of course, have similar problems. I mean, similar programming too that, that speak to this issue. But what's the important thing to do is start noticing that in your own life. Just like uh, when I was a little boy, I thought my curtain, you know, was a monster, you know, it was blowing in the, at night and I called my mother in and she turned on the light and of course there was no monster in my curtain, uh, but she had a good solution. She was a good psychologist, uh, although she'd probably never heard of psychology, but uh, she gave me a little flashlight and said, okay, next time, if you think there's a monster, just shine the light on it and, you know, you can see what it is right away. And it's the same principle in ourselves that if we really shine the light on those old fears, they begin to dissolve and break up because they're imaginary. They're, they're just things that got a grip on us at one point in our lives. And now they have no relevance, except they're still keeping us kind of working inside that old program. And so I want all of your viewers and listeners to be very on the lookout for Start noticing when you have a bunch of worry thoughts and ask yourself, hmm, what of these old fears is causing that? Because if you can make that inward move at that point, that's really very powerful. That can save you 10 years of therapy right there. You said something else in your book, which, which I'm really curious about. You said that the only way through fear is to transform it into the clarity of exhilaration. Now, I love that sentence, but walk, walk me through what that looks like, what that looks like in practice. Well, what it looks like is kind of catching yourself in the moment of feeling afraid. And instead of 
trying to push it to the side or rise above it. Instead, you just let yourself feel it, feeling it, feeling the sensations of the uh, butterflies in your stomach, feeling the tight band around your belly. So letting yourself feel it with non-judgmental awareness. Instead of criticizing and saying, damn you fear, go away. Instead of like, ah, love your fear. Here we say fear is only excitement without the breath. So if you get scared, the first tendency is to hold your breath and you know try to kind of seal it off like that. But really the only thing that works with fear is to feel it and participate with it. So, ha, ah, you know, breathing with it, celebrating it, feeling it. Fear has been around for millions of years. Fear was here before we got here. And so uh, everybody's got the same wiring. And interestingly enough, the same wiring that makes you feel excited also can make you feel scared. And so they come out of the same pipeline. And so the important thing to do is transform your fear so that you shine the light on, on it and let yourself lovingly be with it until it dissolves. It will really disappear into space. And then you get that excitement. You get that exhilaration. But it's all about letting yourself feel it rather than sealing it. I'm just joining the dots there. Probably saw my eyes whizzing around my head in the moment between the, the, the inhale and the exhale. I took a sabbatical this year for eight weeks and somebody sent me an email saying, you know, why did you, why did you take the sabbatical and, and what did it do for you? And I'm planning a podcast episode on that at some stage. But the thing that I kept saying over and over again to my friends was, I feel like I just need to exhale. I feel like all I have done over the past few years is a series of inhalations, like, <gasps> and I don't think I've exhaled. I don't think I've given myself the space or lovingly allowed myself to exhale. And because oh, I saved up awareness. all those exhales, you know, suddenly I needed to take eight weeks to just, to just focus on a very long one. And, you know, if you can build in the regular exhale, then you, you possibly don't need the long one. Well, this is a really important point. Um, see, what you're really talking about is, well, let me say it this way. You can use your meta, your breathing as a metaphor for every aspect of life. For example, let's say a full in-breath, all the way in and all the way out. That's a balanced thing because we say here, the in-breath is about how much you're willing to experience and the out-breath is about how much you're willing to express. And both of those need to be in balance because what sounds like is you had a, a couple of years of things that were just, <gasps> you know, that, that you were having difficulty letting yourself experience. And you built up a big backlog of, ha, ah, now you're on an expression cycle. In the future, don't let yourself go quite that long, okay? <laughs> Stop after a month or so and give yourself an expression cycle. Talk to me about zone of excellence versus zone of genius. So we've got the, the upper limit problem, which is, you know, the ways in which we, we stop ourselves from getting to reaching our full potential. And then the big leap being the leap from that upper limit into our zone of genius. But there's somewhat, there's, there's this zone of excellence in there as well. What's the difference between the zone of excellence and the zone of genius? 
really important question, uh, Jules, and here's why. There's, once you get to be, if you're successful, if you're even moderately successful, you're drawing on things in your excellence zone. Your zone of excellence are made up of things you're really good at, uh, things that you do better than other people, things that people pay you and give you raises for, things that people pat you on the back for. And that's a good thing up until the day it isn't. And when it stops being a good thing, the reason is because all of us have a calling to really express our genius. And if we settle for only being in our excellence zone, we don't get into that exalted territory that I call the genius zone. And so the difference, the big difference, is when you're in your genius zone, you're doing things that you love to do and that have your maximum positive impact on other people. That those qualities, the ability to find out what you most love to do and also the ability to find out what makes your biggest contribution to others, to me, that's the work of a successful person is to map that territory out and not to settle for life in the excellent zone. I've probably had, I don't know, maybe 400 to 500 different lawyers, doctors, successful accountants, professional people come to me around age 40 or 45 and they tell me basically the same story. And it's the story, they don't have language for it, but they basically say, I'm in my excellent zone. I'm getting well paid, people love it. And I feel like if I have to do five more years of it, it's gonna kill me. Because they've been working hard, but not working smart. And how to work smarter is gradually home more and more in on your unique abilities and what you most love to do. And if you do that, you gradually make a transition. You can still do stuff in your excellence zone, but you're also embracing your genius zone. And that helps you avoid burnout because if you keep going in your excellence zone, it takes more and more energy to do that. And up around age 40 or 45, it gets to take a wear and tear and toll on the body. And so it's to our advantage, our health advantage even, to make that shift into doing things that are in our zone of genius. A little bit more about the zone of genius. Um, I mentioned two qualities. You're doing what you love to do and what makes a big contribution to others. But also there's another quality, which is, are you doing the things that, even though they don't take much time, give you the highest quality ideas? You know, like here, we do something with executives. One of the corporations uh, can send an executive to us, usually their CEO, um, and they spend the whole day with us. And it's, you know, it's a fairly pricey thing. It's 25,000 US dollars. And so, um, and so the person comes here with high expectations and they should. One of the first things we have available for them is we ask them to go into a room for 10 minutes and only do two things. One is to ask themselves a question. And two is every time they ask the question, take three easy breaths and then ask it again. So for 10 minutes, they're just saying a question out louder to themselves and then they're taking three easy breaths. Here's why we do that. Well, first of all, I'll tell you what the question is. 
and we call it a wonder we call it a wonder question because it begins with a hmm and the the wonder question is hmm what do i most love to do and then we ask them to take three easy breaths so like 10 seconds each breath so 30 seconds of just breathing and listening instead of having your mind jump in and try to answer it we just ask them to ask the question and then back off and breathe. And it's amazing. Some people come out of that 10 minutes and they say, I got it. You know, uh, I could go home now and I got my $25,000 worth because they say, I never really ever listen to myself. I'm always jamming thoughts through my head all the time. So I don't ever just, ha. Ah. Take 30 seconds off from cranking thoughts through your head and just breathe. And so it's a good beginning for the day, though, uh, because by 10 minutes after nine, if you've got somebody already in the space that they feel like they got their work done, imagine what the next nine hours are going to be like. So by the time they kind of come out of here at 5 or 5.30 in the afternoon, they uh, look like they're lit up like a Christmas tree. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode and have seized hold of at least one tool, idea or mindset that will help you start raising your own level of influence. Now, for those of you who want to take the next step in your journey or would just love a roadmap to becoming the most influential voice, idea or brand in your space, then I have good news. You can now download the latest updated version of my ebook, The Influencer Code, from my website, juliemasters.com. Also, there's a link in the show notes. Just pop in your email address, and I promise I will not spam you, but it is jam-packed full of ideas, tools, and case studies that I have come across in my now 20-plus years of doing this work, not to mention the seven areas and seven core questions that I have found to be hands-down the most valuable when it comes to immediately lifting your ability to make an impact. Download it, keep it, share it, juice it for all it is worth. I hope it makes a massive difference in both your career and your business. Thank you always to my co-founder and the main brain behind this podcast, Lauren Kelly. You kick my butt in all the right ways. Thank you for making it happen. And if you did enjoy the show, then we would love you to share this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Google, Stitcher, whatever your platform of choice happens to be. And don't forget to subscribe to make sure that you never miss an episode.